I chose a topical sermon because it explains why we are what we are. But this is the passage that I would be considering in my next sermon in Micah. Micah 6, uh, 6 verse 6 through 8. This is the question that a worshiper like you and me are asking God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Then uh, Ephesians 5, 25 and 27, it tells us what the Lord is doing with his church. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Right, the topic that we are considering this afternoon is the distinctives of TBC, or the praxis. Or the praxis is a practical aspect of the church that are informed by our orthodoxy. So orthodoxy is biblical or the traditional good doctrine. And out of orthopraxy, out of orthodoxy, we have the orthopraxy. That's what we are dealing with. So why do you come and worship here at Trinity Baptist Church? Why do you live stream or why do you even bother later to watch the messages coming from uh, Trinity Baptist Church Facebook channel and uh, YouTube channel? Why? Why? We're not by any means a big church. Uh, we don't wield much political influence. I think we have zero political influence, uh, humanly speaking. The reason why this church exists is to seek to intentionally be biblical and consistently confessional. We are unashamedly a church that loves the gospel preaches the gospel, and seeks to live the gospel. It means that those who come here must have an insatiable desire to be biblical in all we do. We have a genuine upholding of the word of God insofar as it depends on us. We are not only interested in being theologically, theologically upright, 
Now that's very vital, but also we are committed to the correct orthopraxy so that what we believe is how we live. That is, what we believe must correspond with how we live. Correct doctrine must produce correct ethical, uh, correct conduct in ethical and liturgical matters. So we have put a high premium on the word of God. We are not tired of opening our sermons with a whole psalm as our call to worship and yet in the same service read a whole chapter with perhaps 72 verses and yet in the same sermon read a whole chapter from where the text that would be preached from is drawn. And what a joy it is as a pastor to serve the body of Christ in this kind of an environment. It is such a joy. It gives me much joy to know that this is a church that loves God and seeks to follow him from his word. We want to be biblical. We want our blood, the blood that runs in our veins, to be bibline. So what does that mean? It means that if you come here, number one, you need to love the truth. There must be a clear love for the truth. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we are not what we are by mistake. We are biblical. We draw our doctrines, our faith and practice from the Bible. We believe that the word of God is the only rule for faith and practice. We believe that the scriptures composed of the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament from the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We have no desire to go on any other foundation and I'm never going to wake up one day and tell you, God told me in a dream last night. It's not going to happen. Because we stand on the foundation and we build on the same foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20. So the Bible then is received here with God's authority. And I hope then that when we preach, the word of God comes forth as what it really is, the word of God. And that you don't receive it as words of men. So 
I hope, that each one of us, when the scriptures are being read, we shall not be yawning. We shall be attentive to hear the King of Kings speak to us and to hear the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd's voice come to our ears. Paul commanded Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures, to exhortation and to teaching. Devote yourself. And that's what we are to devote ourselves to. So we love the Bible. And then we draw our doctrines from the Bible, not human philosophies. Who is God? That is his person, his attributes, his work. He's absolutely sovereign over all things. He's the supreme creator of all things, visible and invisible. He is sovereign in creation and providence and in redemption. We don't draw that from human philosophy. We know from the scriptures that God is sovereign, ruler. He governs all things to do his holy will and accomplish his purpose. We know that the sovereign and the infinite God, to be known, he must reveal himself to finite beings. And he's done so through the scriptures. And innate, he has told us who he is and what we are. Innate, he has interpreted for us what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will ultimately do with all his creation. And so, because we listen to the Lord in his word, then we believe that we know him truly. And so then we are, in our love for truth, we are Christ-centered. This means that we proclaim Christ as the name above all other names, so that at his name every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and everywhere, and each one should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We proclaim the full deity and the full humanity of Christ. We proclaim Christ as the only Redeemer of God's elect, who being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was and continues to be God and man into distinct natures and one person forever. We, we preach his work of redemption as our prophet, priest, and king. We preach Christ and him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, that is those who refuse to believe him and receive him as the savior. But he is the stone that the, the builders rejected and has become the capstone, the cornerstone. And so then the centrality of the cross of Christ in the gospel is well proclaimed and embedded in every sermon that is preached. This is because the gospel is a good news. It is a good news of the otherwise perishing world. We are not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so because we love the truth, we do what is called expository preaching. You know, consecutive expository preaching of the Bible makes TBC very, very different from most of the churches in this city, in this country. We preach through the Bible. 
precept upon precept, line upon line. We expound each word, each sentence, each phrase, each verse, each paragraph, each chapter, each book, the world Bible. It doesn't matter whether it is in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's a word of God. It doesn't matter whether it's a list of genealogies or history or a doctrinal text. It doesn't matter. It is the word of God. The aim is to unravel the mystery of God's world counsel to his people by the help of the Holy Spirit so that we do not withhold anything that is profitable. The pastors here would all agree with me that when we grow up, we want to be able to say with Apostle Paul, I withheld nothing from you, but proclaimed the world counsel of God to you. We want to be able to say that. That's the undying desire of those who pastor and who have pastored this church. So then, what does it mean to be a Reformed Baptist? Because that's what we are. What does, it, what does that mean? It means that we follow closely in the footsteps of the Lord, the apostles, the church fathers, the reformers. And we do that by being and being grafted and anchored in the Bible. The Bible. And so whoever preacher has been a preacher of the Bible, it doesn't matter whether he has been Anglican or Lutheran. It doesn't matter whether he's been Presbyterian or Baptist. So long as he has stuck with the text of the scriptures, we follow that person. And so in that sense, being a Reformed Baptist means being biblical and agreeing with whoever agrees with the Bible, regardless of his denomination. And so in as much as J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop in Liverpool, we read his books. We commend his books. Many of our book clubs would be reading various books by J.C. Ryle. We don't look at him as an Anglican. We look at him as a biblical man because he's stuck with the Bible. So when we think about Luther, Martin Luther, and the denomination that followed him, in as much as we may not identify with his denomination, we identify with his convictions of being biblical. And, our, and we are not ashamed having t-shirts written that our minds our, are held captive by the scriptures. We don't mind that. Being reformed means that having drawn our doctrines from the Bible, so it is sola scriptura, scriptures alone, we also believe that we are saved through the grace of God alone. And 
That is through our faith alone in Christ alone. And all that the glory of God alone. The five solas, the five pillars of reformation are loved in this church. And so we are not ashamed of putting the five pillars of reformation on our wall. We, we hold all human beings to be totally sinful, totally depraved, and therefore rendered total, totally unable to do any spiritual good without the grace of God. We believe that the only way by which those totally sinful men can be saved is through the unconditional election of God the Father before the foundation of the world because of the love with which he loved us in the beloved. It's unconditional because he loved us way before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. And we hold that Christ Jesus did not come to make salvation possible or available. He came to save those for whom the Father had given him. So he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So he died for his church. He died for the sheep. He did not die for the goats. So we believe that the atonement of Christ, the death of Christ, is powerful. It is not limited in power. It's only limited in the extent because he only died for the elect. So we talk about particular redemption. And we teach that even though so many people stumble at that point, you will come with many Christians and they will say, I believe that the Bible teaches that all human beings are totally depraved. And yes, I can see from the scriptures that there is unconditional election. But then when you get to particular redemption, many begin to fall away. And they don't like that doctrine. And they don't like preaching that Jesus Christ did not die for everyone. But Jesus Christ did not die for everyone. He died for the elect. He died for the sheep. He died for the church. He died for his body. And all for whom he died will be in heaven. That's how powerful and efficacious the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Christ is. The blood of Christ avails. And we also preach that all for whom Christ died, who were elected, by the love of the Father before the foundation of the world, when they hear the, excuse me, when they hear the gospel of our salvation, the Holy Spirit will enable them, will quicken them, will regenerate them, and they will not resist the grace of salvation. They might resist to begin with in their depravity, but eventually the saving spirit will mellow their hearts, actually remove those hearts of stone and it replace them with hearts of flesh. And they will be regenerated, they will be born again. 
and they will hear the gospel and they will believe in Jesus Christ who is freely offered in the gospel. We teach that. We teach irresistible grace and we teach that those that the Father loved before the foundation of the world, those for whom the Son died and those that the Spirit regenerates will persevere in the faith to the end. They will endure to the end because the Spirit will continue to work in them and they will be secure in the Father's love and they will remain in the grace of Christ and they will be ever persevering, overcoming every temptation and eventually, even when they fall, they will still rise up, but the Lord will keep them to the end. He will not leave them on the way. And so then, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is baptized. That's what the Bible says. Go ye, therefore, unto all the nations and preach the gospel. And then he says, whoever believes, let him be baptized. So we are a Baptist church. What does that mean? We believe in the baptism of believers. So please don't come to us and request us to baptize your baby. We won't do it. It doesn't matter if you try to say that, you see, my baby is in the covenant community. Uh, please baptize it. Now, we'll tell you, if the baby is indeed in the covenant community, the baby is within the right space. He will hear the gospel. He will believe in Christ and most gladly have them baptized. If you are interested in baptizing babies, last year would have been a very, very busy year. We believe that baptism is by immersion. It means to be submerged into water. It doesn't matter if it is in February or in July. It doesn't matter if it's winter, as it is right now in some places. People need to be baptized. Those who are regenerated by the Spirit and profess faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as their only Savior, whether young or old, are to be baptized. And that in the presence of the world congregation. It's not to be done privately. Don't come to me and tell me, Pastor, praise the Lord. My son professed faith yesterday and I baptized him. Don't do that. Baptism needs to be done in the church, in the witness of the world congregation, in the presence of the congregation. Let them hear their testimony as well. The baptism is to be is by a complete immersion or submersion in water, in in in, in which which happens right here where I am sitting right now. If my ground were to give up, I would be in a pool of water. We are ever waiting for people to be baptized with a pool of water. When they repent, they are to be baptized. That's what it means to love the truth. It is to love the truth even when it's inconveniencing. I mean, being baptized, being, being immersed into water is not especially nice and especially in front of everyone. But because we love the truth, we do it. And because you love the Lord, you do it. Because the Lord said so. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We can't be ashamed of the Lord. 
So that's our first distinctive. We love the truth. We love the truth. And I can go on and on on that one. But let me go to the next one. We are an independent local church. We are an independent local church. Trinity Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church. We are not under any hierarchical leadership. We are not under any denomination. We are happy to function as we do. And I'm glad that no bishop will be calling me tomorrow and saying, I did not like what you preached. No one. Now, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, might speak in his word and, and show me anything that I may have preached, which is not in accordance to his word. And for that, I would be convic uh, convicted and repent, even in ashes and sackcloth, and come before you and apologize and seek your forgiveness for teaching anything erroneous. But no man is going to come over Russ. I need to clarify that the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith forms the basic doctrine or basic doctrinal statement of TBC. Yes, there is a church constitution as well that guides the life of the church and everyone seeking membership is expected to read that. But that provides the necessary knowledge for those who are joining the church so that we may be on the same page. It provides the necessary knowledge during congregational meetings. You see, being an independent local church means ours, our model, is a true bottom-up model. In other words, it's a congregation that calls pastors. Okay? It's a congregation that determines who becomes member and who becomes and who lays membership. It's a congregation that determines how funds are spent. So then we have congregational meetings, four or more in a year. So, um, these meetings, members would discuss matters freely. Anyone in the membership can lift up his hand, that is for orderliness, and say, I do not agree with A, B, C, D. Please convince me otherwise. So then we want you to be aware of how we function. We are congregational, which means that our worship itself is congregational. It's done under the regulative principle of worship, not the normative principle of worship. Let me explain that. There are two ways, or rather there are, there are two schools of thought with regard to how the worship of God is to be done publicly by a gathered 
church. Two schools of thought. There is what is called the regulative principle of worship, which is if it is not written, we shall not do it. Right? And then there is a normative which says, if it is not forbidden in scriptures, it's fine. Now we believe uh, that the Bible must inform what we do. We do not want to be struck dead by God, like Uzzah. Neither do we want to be killed like those two men, Nadab and Abihu who offered an authorized fire before God. We don't want that. So we believe that the second commandment is actually there to regulate how God is to be worshipped. And God is so meticulous about how he's to be worshipped that he gave Moses a pattern of how he's to be, uh, how the tabernacle was to be uh, constructed. And of how those utensils and all the furnishing of the tabernacle were to be done. And the Bible kept on saying, and Moses followed everything according to the pattern given to him in the mountain. And that's commanded. So to do otherwise is to offer an authorized fire. It is to give unsolicited worship to God. So we don't do that. So then, when we gather to meet God, to worship God, to hear from God, to speak to God in adoration, praise, thanksgiving, and petition as a body, the Word of God forms the backbone of our worship. So that it is not, if it is not written, then it is not authorized. And then if it's not authorized, then it mustn't be done. The public reading of scriptures, the prayer, the press, the preaching, are the most important elements of the worship experience at TBC. We sing scriptural psalms and hymns and spiritual songs only. So there is no concert, no music, no music bad, no praise and worship team. It is congregational. The voices of the saints soiling the song of the angelic worship directed at the infinitely transcendent and yet imminent God. We worship the Lord in our giving too. We give our, our substances to show that our God, the giver, is our focus, not the gifts. And this is done secretly. It's done, in other words, never will you hear me tell you Please, it's time to give. Give us a song. Give us a number. Give us that song, people to give. I want to do that. We're not going to sing anything for you so that you can give. We will teach you so that you can give, and that's all. And you have to do it in such a way that you do not need to waive your offering. You don't need to do that. Now, we will urge you to give proportionately, but you don't teach tithing. We think tithing is for spiritual infants. 
So if you came to me and asked me, Pastor, where do I begin in my giving lessons? I would say begin by tithing. But then when you grow up, you will give more than your tithe. So it's proportionately, it's thoughtfully. You are to think beforehand. It's to be done regularly as you get your income. And you're to give generously and cheerfully. And on our part, we are not going to, we're not going to coerce you. You know, we will not, in a very subtle way, bring an offering bag and you will know what to do with it. You know, we don't do that. We don't have a special time for giving. You can give any time during the week. You can come and, and, and give your offering any time. The boxes are fixed there at the main entrance. You can give as you come in or you can give as you go out. And you can also use the church account or the MPESA pay bill number, but you're not going to advertise it on our screens. So even if you're watching on YouTube, there's not going to be any banner flowing there to urge you to give. We're to do that. There's no coercion, no subtle or otherwise coercion. We believe that the members are well instructed to know their duty to God and to the church. And yes, they are. You are brothers and sisters. We believe that we've not lacked anything. And even where we, we are unable to meet our budget, which has been very rare, we still have to adjust ourselves and live within our means. That's what we do with our families, right? Isn't it? You have to live within your means. Though I know with Kenyans sometimes when things are not quite adding up mathematically, call your rich uncle in Nairobi is what they say. We don't do that. So we hold communion together. Uh, and uh, we, we live like that as a church. And then thirdly, we are an elder-led church. TBC is an elder-led congregational church. This means that elders, also called pastors or overseers, or bishops, very few people call me. I don't think anyone has ever called me overseer. But the Bible uses that title. The work of these men is to exercise authority, exercise, excuse me, exercise oversight by ruling the church through the word of God. That, those are terms in the Bible. Let the elders who rule well be counted double of double honor. First Timothy 5.17. So the word rule is used there. So then uh, we hold to the plurality of the elders. What does that mean? It means that it is abnormal to have one pastor for one church. I mean, he has his own shortcomings. He has his own failures. He has his own deficiencies of gifts. So you need to have multiple men so that you don't lack or you're not subjected to my failures. Being part of the eldership at TBC means that 
The buck does not stop with one man. There is no senior pastor. The buck stops with the many. It means that the church does not suffer with the shortcomings of one man, but it also means that the church can enjoy spiritual gifts of many men. It means that there is accountability also amongst the eldership. The pastors shepherd each other, watching over each other's life and doctrine. And so we, we, we talk to one another where there is a problem. The elders are at par. We believe in what is called the parity of elders. No elder has two votes or no one has a veto power or veto vote. No, we discuss and build consensus and agree. But we also believe in the principle of the first among equals. In Latin, it is primus inter pares. That is first among equals, which is there in First Timothy 5.17, where the elder who rule well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, are to be counted as worthy of double honor. Um, the, the pastors regularly uh, meet and discuss and spend time in prayer. But they also do visit and spend time with the members and pray with the members. Elders seek to be readily accessible and reachable to the members so that the pastors fellowship freely with anyone in order to care for them and to set an example to them in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. The pastors do not have a secretary through whom the appointments are fixed. We shepherd the flock of God with love and care. We do not make financial demands on members to offer any service to them. It's all done liberally and freely. When you give your offering, that's enough to pay the pastors because it's going to be there in the budget. Of course, if you decided to surprise me with a New Year uh, gift, I would not be unhappy. But the point is, but the point is, I'm not going to make that demand. Now, we are also, fourthly, a family-oriented church. We believe that it is the design of God to have men marry women in the Lord and by the grace of God have children and bring them up under his discipline and instruction. So we hold to the belief that even where young men are given, given trouble by the parents of the young ladies, we do everything we can to help them marry in the Lord, overcome that obstacle. Okay? And so I've participated in many negotiations. I've almost become an expert now. Now, don't laugh too loudly when I become an expert. There will be an expert's fee. So be careful. But the point is, we want people to marry in the Lord. Men to marry women, not any other way. Right? 
and we hold to the complementarian position, this means that while God created man and woman equal, the complementarian position has been misunderstood and that, that's why I must always begin by emphasizing this. We believe that men and women are created equal by God. Equally in the image of God, equally given dominion, equally blessed, now equally fell into sin, but also equally saved. So it's all equal and it shows that. But we know both from the scriptures and from common sense that men and women are different. They, the Lord has given us gender-sensitive responsibilities or roles in life, in marriage, in family, and in life. Men are called upon to love their wives and lead their families and children. Men have God-given responsibilities to offer godly leadership to churches. Women are to provide the necessary support to male leadership and help in nurturing their children. Older women are to teach younger women. This is being the case. Uh, th this is being then complementarian. Women will exercise their gifts in all aspects of the life of the church, except in leadership. So they cannot be pastors or deacons. So, Being a family-oriented church means that we encourage young people to live in purity. We encourage them to marry in the Lord. We, we provide incentives for building godly marriages. We provide motivation for building godly families. Do that. But then we are also mission-minded church. Over the 40 years that TBC has, has existed, many churches have been planted across the country. Some of them have grown to be independently functioning local churches, which have been registered by government independently. But uh, there are others that still look up to us for help, but our desire is that they all may be independent. independent. And this has been accomplished through providing theological training through the T Trinity Pastors College. When men are equipped, then they are sent out. We also offer internship program through which men will be given time both to study and to practical ministry. And then we also provide regular short-term mission trips to many parts of the country. And eventually we send out men into mission work and church planting. But shepherding TBC is a delight, for it is serving the Lord, and the Lord gives the necessary grace and gifts by His Spirit. He provides the necessary strength, and His Word is full of promises to those who shepherd His church. He's pro uh, he has promised the unfading crown of glory. What a joy to see men trained and sent out, and to see churches planted, 
and to see them grow, that's a great, great blessing. And lastly, we are a Christ-expecting church. We are a Christ-expecting church. We are confident that Christ will soon appear the second time and the last time to be with his bride, the church. We believe that undoubtedly God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, whom all power and judgment is given by the Father. In that day, the apostate angels will be judged. And so also all people who have lived on the earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what they've done in the body, whether good or evil. They will give an account of their thoughts and words and deeds and to receive a reckoning according to what they've done in the body. We believe that God's purpose for appointing this day is to manifest the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the eternal domination of the reprobates who are wicked and disobedient. For at that time, the righteous will go into everlasting life and receive fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of, the, of his power. We believe that and we teach it. We believe that Christ desires that we firmly, we be firmly convinced that a day of judgment will come both to deter everyone from sin and to comfort the godly more fully in their adversity. For this reason, he has determined to keep the day secret, to encourage people to shake off any fleshly security and always to be watchful because they do not know the hour when the Lord will come and so that they may always be prepared to say, come Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Amen. Those are our convictions. That's what we believe. And that's what makes TBC what it is. And that's why we delight in being together. And this is what cements our communion together. Because the Spirit of God indwells us. May the name of the Lord be praised. Amen. So as we enter into this new year keep that in mind and ask yourself am I truly a TBC Narian or am I just in word may the Lord help us let's rise up to sing praise to the Lord